Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast. I am Dale Luganbill. Thank you very much for joining me and welcome to this week's recap and rant. So last weekend I uh, headed up north to the Brainerd area. I uh, have cabin up in that neck of the woods. And uh, so headed out to bass fish primarily, but also I knew I was going to do some pan fishing because the, the lake I wanted to go to uh, last year in fishing it, um, it has good bass in it, but I also stumbled upon some better than average pan fish. So I, was, I, I knew that was going to be a distinct possibility. But it's going to be more like curious to where the bass were going to be in the spawn cycle as I'd never really fished this lake this early. And so I went up there and got out there and my normal spot definitely wasn't producing. So I was like, okay, so they're, they're not here yet. Um, let's move in. They got to be shallower. So I just, I went in stupid shallow and started seeing some beds, um, some with fish on them and some without. So kind of in that, you know, uh, not peak of spawn, probably tail end of spawn. I, if I had for bass, if I if I had to guess. Um, so it was kind of, and you know, and I don't know why spawning bass gets so much, like attention it's 
as like it's an unfair advantage for them. Um, you know, we talk about that a little bit. I, I did uh, this week's main episode is going to be with uh, Matt Waldron, and we talk about this. We cover the difference between smallmouth and largemouth. So be looking out for that one. That one's going to drop Thursday. But in my opinion, in my experience, like bedded largemouth bass can be huge pain in the ass to get them to bite. Like I maybe I just don't have the patience for it, but they either run away from the bait, straight up ignore it, or, you know, look at it, but then, yeah, I don't think so. Or puff at it or just butt it or, you know, like it. And then you got to change lures and see what's going to, you know, there's a ton you can do. And again, Matt breaks that down when we get into that episode. But um, I just don't get ex- I don't get ex- excited about the spawn. I like pre-spawn. Pre-spawn's where it's at. I mean, you can get into a hot school, and it's like every cast. That's fun. The actual spawn, and for sure post-spawn sucks. Um, But, yeah, I I just don't – I don't get what the hubbub is about spawn. Like, I just – in my experience, and maybe I'm doing it wrong, that's very possible. Um, But it's – man, I just – for me, don't get excited about it. (laughs) I seem to get more frustrated than anything. Um but I do like to just get into those. I do like fishing really shallow. There's something, I don't know why, but there's something pretty cool about that. And it always amazes me just how skinny some of these fish can get. And I don't write off any water at that point. Like I will, I will long bomb a cast into just about anything. I've been bit too many times in those situations. And so that's kind of what I did. I went in really shallow and, uh, Started bombing casts around, and it uh, wasn't anything lights out by any stretch. Um, but I was getting bit with enough frequency that it was fun and warranted to continue on, like, that pattern. So I kind of exhausted that part of the lake and hadn't seen any bluegills, which was one of the things that was kind of concerning to me. Um, not like I think, like, the bluegills all died off or anything, but it was just more of like, okay... The bait's not here. I got to find the bait to find the predator fish. And because I wasn't seeing enough, it'd be one thing, like, well, they're not, the bass aren't feeding. They're on, they're spawning right now. You know, got to find the beds. Well, some bass were spawning, but not all of the bass were spawning. So that means some of them are somewhere, whether they're recouping from the spawn, or I suppose technically some are still pre spawn if they haven't spawned yet. So it's, you know, find the food source is what my brain was telling me and so I kept just kind of go around the lake and looking at different areas and really just now I was kind of like while trolling around and throwing a big swim jig around um, it was more doing that as a search and catching a bass here and there but I was looking for bluegills while doing that and finally stumbled upon a spot that had some bluegills and it did have more bass around it as well so my theory at least anecdotally (laughs) played out the really fun part about it was this patch that i found and it was in some reeds and i'd fished a bunch of reeds up to that point and i don't know what made this particular patch better than the other ones for as far as the panfish were concerned but they were stacked 
in this spot. I mean, stacked. I was just doing little flips of my panfish rod out there, a small jig and a float, and just like it would no sooner hit the water and that thing would take off. In fact, they were hitting my bobber at times. Like these things were so aggressive. And there was good ones in there. I mean, good ones. Almost all of them were good ones. Like, the small one in that spot was like eight and a half, which that's, you know, that would be a good eater fish, but that was like the smallest of the ones I was catching. Every, it seemed like everything else was like nine or better. I mean, it was just unreal. Maybe not better. I think I measured one. I think it was, just, it was at nine. So I would say my, okay, my small ones are probably eight inches, if I'm being honest. I didn't, I didn't measure the small ones, but they were like, Definitely would have kept in a in a Minnesota made tournament, and for sure would have kept for the frying pan, but without being too big. But I caught some studs, some stud bluegills, and some stud pumpkin seed hybrids, and those fish are just different, man. They are so thick and tall and angry. They just seem so angry. And I love them. They almost have that smallmouth kind of mentality, and they fight so good. Ah, I just love them things. And I could, I literally could have just sat there all day and and beat on those. And actually, I went Facebook Live uh, for a large chunk of it because the action was just so good, and the quality of fish is what was just blowing me away. And the colors on these things were just stunning. I mean, stunning. Obviously, the pumpkin seeds and the pumpkin seed hybrids, they have that whole next-level paint job. But the bluegills had a really cool, like, yellow-green thing going on with them um, that I don't know if it was a light level on that particular day or whatever, but they were just their colors were just popping. And, uh, God damn it, that was fun. I had so much fun. And I finally tore myself away from that to go try to put the pieces together on the, on the bass bite. And, uh, you know, honestly, I didn't really – didn't really stumble upon anything different. I mean, what had been working continued to work in about the same frequency. Uh, about the most fish I'd catch in any given spot or stretch was like two or three, and then it'd be a long period of time and then pick up one or two more. It's, that's just kind of how it went. But it wasn't a long enough period of time where I got bored or anything. Like, it was – it worked out. It was – it was a good day. I had a good day. And uh, so then headed back to the cabin and then um, was going to go pick up my daughter and go take her out fishing because she came up and, and she was out with uh, my wife and they went up to uh, Walker just to spend the day, do some shopping, get some Bloody Marys or whatever. And then so I was going to take them out. But she – Went on a date instead, which is fine. Totally cool with it. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go fishing again. I got the, the last half of the day. Well, not a little less than half the day. I had about four hours of light uh, to go fishing. And so I wanted to – I wasn't going to go back to the lake I was just at because it takes about 45 minutes from my cabin. Uh, so I'm like, well, Gull is pretty close, and I've never fished it. And it's on our Minnesota made schedule, so – Sounds like a good time to go check that out. So that's where I went. I went to went to Gull. And that lake is a lot bigger than I expected. Like a lot bigger. <laughs> it was it was kind of crazy. 
um, I, oh, I'll interject this. Before I went fishing again, some of you might care about this, some of you might not, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. So I want, one of the other reasons to go back was uh, the plan was to have spaghetti for supper that night, and I was going to make uh, my red sauce from scratch, which is uh, like a seafood-based or clam juice-based red sauce, which I learned when I was visiting the East Coast. I will never buy jarred spaghetti sauce ever again as long as I live. It's so much better. But anyways, didn't. So I had all you know, got the herbs and our own tomatoes from our garden that we had canned, and all that was great, except didn't grab any onions. However, it is May in Minnesota, and I know the woods around my cabin, like, I mean, right outside my cabin on our property, have wild ramps. And those of you who might not be familiar with foraging, the wild ramp is like this wonderful concoction, naturally balanced of onion and garlic plant. And so I was like, well, I'll just go get some of those. So I walked out in the woods like 20 feet from the cabin, picked about eight ramps. And normally I don't dig up the bulbs too uh, but because I actually we were missing the onion piece, a lot of times I'll just they're a slow growing plant. It takes a long year for them uh, a long year, a long time for them to get established. So you don't want to go willy nilly on your foraging. Now, thankfully, there's a lot of them on this property. So and I'm obviously we're the only people on the property that harvest them. So I wasn't too worried about over harvesting. Generally, I'll take like if there's three stalks or three leaves growing off it, I'll just take two and leave one. If there's two, I'll only take one. I generally don't even take the bulbs. That way you don't kill the plant. You still get some of the flavor, but most of the flavor is in the bulb, of course. Um, so for this particular application, I decided to go ahead and dig up some of the bulbs. I knew I was only going to grab a handful, so it wasn't a big deal. So I did that. And uh, that that kind of blew my daughter away. She's like, holy crap, that's crazy that these are growing right there. I was like, yeah, right. Uh, so brought them in, cleaned them up, add those to the red sauce, got that cooking, put down simmer. Then I went to Gull Lake. So just a little side foraging note there. Uh, so then I, I get out the to Gull. First thing I notice is, wow, this water is clean, like crazy clean. Has it always been that way? I, like I said, I've never been on Gull before. Or is this a zebra mussel kind of thing? Can't say I saw any zebra mussels, but I just I was, I guess I wasn't expecting that clean of water. I was I don't know what I was expecting, but I was like, wow, that is like crystal clear water. The other thing I noticed in looking at the map, the lake map, is that this is one of those lakes that can sometimes be frustrating because there's a lot of deep water and there's a lot of shallow water, not much in between. Like it's it's deep and just comes skyrocketing up, and then you have these big, expansive, shallow flats. Uh, so that those can be frustrating at times. However, I knew the fish I was looking for were going to be shallow or at least relatively shallow, and so went up to uh, kind of started in the outside reeds. And this there's a lot of reeds on this lake that are just starting to grow um, in pretty deep water, actually. Um, then you usually find them in a lot of lakes. And so I was fishing around there, wasn't seeing anything, no panfish, wasn't catching bass. So I just kind of kept pushing in. 
Then when I started getting in about that four-foot range, started picking up a couple bass. Still wasn't seeing much for panfish, so I was kind of having that same question mark in my head as far as, like, where is the bait here? I uh, just kept pushing in and went crazy shallow and started seeing some little bluegills anyways and uh, and some bass. And so I started doing, like I said before, casting into some just ridiculously shallow areas and started catching fish. Like there was a couple laid over trees in this spot. And, I mean, it looked like there was less than a foot of water in there. But I would – would have been a great – place for like a Senko, but I just, I already had the swim jig in my hand. So I just cast a swim jig up there. And the, as soon as that thing hit the water, bam, fish on. And I think I plucked two fish off of that tree and uh, I could see there was a lot of activity going on. There's like a bunch of dead laid over, um, wild rice just created this like big mat. And there was a lot going on in there. I guess if a guy wanted to punch, you could have probably done pretty well. I didn't really feel like dealing with it, so I just kept off the outside of it and fished the perimeter and kept picking up fish there. Wasn't finding much for kind of good bluegills, and so I kind of worked this one area and then decided to go around and try a different. I'm like, okay, well, if they're in this scuzzy area, I'm going to look for more scuzzy areas. So I find, uh, find another spot actually where some the lily pads are starting to grow up, uh, some of them had reached the surface, but most of them were still, I mean, not even halfway. I mean, they were like carpeted down on the bottom yet. Different bottom structure though than the reeds, obviously much softer bottom and, uh, started seeing even more bass in there. And then I started seeing the panfish. Then there was a couple crappies here and there. Um, nothing, nothing crazy size wise. Um, starting to see a few better bluegills caught a couple you know size checked them like yeah nothing too impressive because we had like i said we have it on our minnesota made schedule because i kind of wanted to just see what we're up against like what's a good crappie and bluegill on this lake the fun surprise is started seeing dogfish in there and i have a compulsion when it comes to dogfish if i see one i'm going to try to catch it and uh actually found one on the bed and couldn't get oh i got the one to bite i had my swim jig on and i dropped it right in his nest and he grabbed it and and i saw him like kind of chewing on it and i set the hook and he just had the plastic body and it ripped the ripped my paddle tail off and the hook was nowhere near him so i was like god dang it threw back in there but he was too busy chomping on that plastic he wasn't <laughs> he was no longer interested in what i what i was throwing at him and saw like three more dogs in there uh, just cruising and I could, I can get him to look, but I, I couldn't get him to commit. Uh, so that, that was disappointing, but I just love seeing those things. They're so cool. And they're in their spawning colors right now. They got these neon green fins for those that don't know, like they're super cool. That's that's a fish. that just does not get the respect it deserves in my opinion. Like they, they're, <laughs> that's a cool ass fish, man. Um, so kept, kept working around and then, uh, Found this spot, I started seeing more crappies. And a couple of the crappies looked, at least, pretty good. I wasn't able to catch any. I uh, couldn't get down to them, and I was too lazy to change baits to a heavier jig. Because they were out, the crappies I was finding were out just slightly deeper 
and some green cabbage weeds. They weren't in the reeds and stuff, kind of where you might expect them. I don't think they're spawning yet. I think the crappies are like staging to spawn. And uh, so I didn't get any of those bite. Didn't try super hard either. Um, just when I kept going, I'm like, well, I'm going to check some docks, see if the fish are relating to docks. Um, I did find some panfish on the docks, and there were definitely bass, not so much relating to the docks, but they were in the area. And the curious part about that is, like, this is kind of spots I would have blown past because it was just, like, there wasn't much for weeds, just kind of a sandy, nothing bottom. But these bass were cruising. They were just cruising along, um, and they were willing to bite. So, I, like, I actually saw a few of them come from quite a distance away to, to smash my swim jig. That was interesting. I'm not quite sure why they were there, um, but they were, and there's no arguing it. So I think it could have been a good day, and I was running out of time, running out of daylight. You could have just, like, put the trolling motor on high and worked the entire shoreline, really, and you would have caught fish. So that part was fun. Uh, so then I headed back to enjoy our homemade red sauce spaghetti meal, which was very good. Um, so the next day the next morning i was like well i kind of looked out I, I checked out part of the lower part of gull lake so the next day i figured oh, well, i'll go back and i'll check out the north end and see what that looks like and sets up slightly different also slightly the same and uh went to that pattern of the docks and caught some fish right away and then i hit a stretch where just like nothing saw some reed patches uh, caught a couple in there. was not great. Uh, there was two other boats kind of working it, though, so that could have happened. Then there was this little channel that, uh, I don't know if it's a man-made channel or whatever, probably is, but it's like goes way back. There's a bunch of cabins and docks and stuff back in there, but it's this is all like super shallow, swampy, mucky, lily paddy kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to poke in there, see what see what's going on. Yeah, it didn't take long. And I found out, like, okay, this is a good place to be. A lot of bass on their beds, a lot of bluegills around, which I assume are harassing these bedded bass. And uh, even so, I saw another uh, dogfish just as I was entering it. Tried to get, tried to get him to bite. He looked a couple times, wouldn't take. Keep working up this channel and get to. Uh, I'm checking out these bass beds and these bass were literally in the process of spawning they were not interested in anything i could throw at them they would spook pretty easy but i'd back off and i could still see them um they would roll on their sides another fish would come in they would roll on its side they'd do the little shimmy shimmy shake like they were actively spawning it's kind of cool to watch uh while i was doing that i happened to look down I'm like oh there's another dogfish right there, and he was in a bed. So I started casting in there. He would look at it a little bit and ignore it. So I switched baits, went to a Ned rig. He looked at it, ignored it. So I'm like, well, let's go to the big, just a big, uh, you know, pitching jig. So I threw that in there. He did not like that at all, and he started attacking this jig, but he wasn't, like, eating it. And if you know what a, a, a dogfish looks like, 
or a bowfin, they have like kind of a blunt snout and all their teeth are right kind of on the outside edge. And so he was like nipping at my bait, but violently, like really violently. Like he was trying to kill this thing, um, but he wasn't getting the hook in his mouth. And I just kept pissing him off, pissing him off, pissing him off. Finally, he took one bite too big and I was able to set the hook and got him in the boat and immediately knew like, okay, I need to get my pictures and get this thing back in the water because I no sooner took that fish out of the water than those bluegills went straight to that bed. I mean, straight to it. And more bluegills than I thought were around. Like they just, I was like, oh shit. So I let the, that dogfish go and it did not take him long at all. He went right back to his nest and started chasing them gills off. Um, started seeing some decent ones better than what I thought. And, uh, Caught a couple of them. Didn't catch anything too earth-shattering um, in that spot. But I was like, okay, there's there's some better-than-average gills in this lake. That kind of changes things. So I keep pushing up this creek, and then there's a bridge. And I could have got like a culvert bridge. I could have gone through it because it, it, it kept going. But I was like, okay, I think I've, I feel like I've learned what I needed to learn in this spot anyways. And uh, so there was one dock there. And I was casting around, and I kept my, my swim jig kept getting attacked by bluegills and that. So I'm like, reel that in, grab my uh, Kishler Custom, throw that thing in there, and uh, this giant hybrid comes out, takes my jig, and it's, I mean, it's, I measured it was nine inches. I was kind of surprised that it was only nine inches. This thing was so freaking beefy. <laughs> I was like, okay, that changes everything um yeah so going off of how clear the water is the fact that there's cabbage round and these big pumpkin seed these big hybrids i was like well chances are this is going to to come winter this is going to be a lot of camera work it's going to be a lot of looking with cameras and looking for the fish you want to catch Uh, because those big hybrids are going to come into play big time and from what I saw crappie fishing, or crappie looking, I should say. I didn't see anything jaw-dropping, but I saw enough good ones that I bet there are some bombers in there. So this weekend, when I head back up there, um, I'm going to fish it again. I'm going to do some more exploring. Hopefully the crappies are spawning by this time, and I can more effectively get uh, an idea of what we're looking at as far as crappies are concerned in uh, in that lake. And the other good thing about crappie spawning is that the bluegills pick on those things just like they pick on everything else. So should should have the opportunity then to uh, pick off some better gills too. So that's the plan coming up this weekend. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I got going on. And that's what I did. Oh, so I continued to fish some shallows, caught some more bass, and uh, saw a few more dogfish, tried to catch them, failed. Uh, but, yeah, if you guys haven't done that, and, and like now I've done it enough now in the last few years that I kind of made it a thing to do, I, f- I feel pretty confident in my ability to, like, if I went to purposely go out and find dogfish, I'm, I think I could do it. I'm pretty sure I can do it. And it's just getting them to bite, that's the – you know, and maybe it's because it's spawn or post-spawn or pre-spawn for them too. I'm not quite sure. Well, obviously they're spawning. Uh, I just don't know where, you know, how long their spawn lasts or, uh, 
if it's similar to the bass or whatever. But um, what I found in the summertime is that if you see a dogfish, you can generally get it to bite. They, they're pretty willing to eat if you drop. But you have to, like, sometimes they'll chase. But if you can get it right in front of their nose, more times than not, they're going to eat it. So uh, pretty fun. A lot of fun, actually. Cool fish. So that's what I that's what I did, and that's what I plan on doing some more of this weekend. Uh, yeah, so stay tuned for that. Uh, rants wise, what what was I gonna rant about? I mean, I could rant about wake boats because those things were out. There was like literally one out there, and still making enough waves that made my life hell trying to navigate from one place to the other. God, I hate those things, but. I don't want to do that rant. That's that's no fun. Um, God, I had an issue I was going to talk about. Now I don't remember. Son of a... Um, I guess the only thing we didn't really talk about is the blue, the new bluegill regulations, uh, panfish regulations in some of the lakes in Minnesota here. Uh, we reduced them. They reduced them to five to increase the size structure. And... I guess where I was going with that, I had a conversation with Patrick Patches Olson from the Lone Angler tonight. Uh, I'm making a guest appearance on his show again for his Unhooked series. Although we pretty much talked about fishing the entire time, which is pretty impressive. Like we didn't deviate and talk about ridiculousness. So that was kind of cool. Anyways, um, you get a lot of different opinions as far as like this is actually going to make smaller fish because if you don't take the small fish out of the, the population or every small fish is eventually or no big fish ever started out big. They were a small fish once and blah, 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 blah. I guess when it comes to experimental regulations or setting any regulation whatsoever, I uh, just want it based on sound science and not this anecdotal sentiment that people just have. Um, and maybe you do have to, there's a good reason why they call them experimental regulations. Maybe we're trying stuff out, you know, let's try this setup, reduced limit for a few years, see if the size structure in these lakes increase or not, and then make adjustments. For me, I'd almost like to see more so than a reduced bag limit and I guess it doesn't have to be one or the other. I'd like some sort of size restriction so that we're just letting those bigger fish go. Um, sure, every 10-inch bluegill was a 7-inch bluegill at some point. That is a true statement. But I feel like the ones that make it to kind of that upper echelon, 9-inches, um, you know, even anything above 8.5 to 9 inches, becomes a different creature at that point. And that's that's the, the genetics you want to pass on, the ones that are able to kind of bust through that ceiling, if you will. So it feels to me like it makes more sense to have some sort of size limit. And I get a lot of feedback like, well, that's more work. Like then the DNR is going to have to measure all those. About, like, yeah, that's how that works. That kind of is their job. They already have to do it with walleyes and pike and bass so what's the difference? It's just one more thing they have to check. They know how to read a tape. It's not that big of a deal. With that said, I also think that if you care about bigger panfish, 
in general, you don't need the state to tell you what to do. And I brought this point up on Patrick's show on the Lone Angler that, you know, in the 80s, it was the bass anglers that took it upon themselves to start doing catch and release and selective harvest. And it made a big difference. Started catching more and bigger bass because they were voluntarily catching release. There was no laws. You could still catch six of any size that you wanted. But bass anglers, hardcore bass anglers, kind of took it upon themselves to just do this. So we can do this as pan fishermen. We don't need regulations. I did it this weekend on that first lake that I fished. Well, I didn't keep any panfish all weekend long. Um, I threw a couple in my live well at that first lake just because I was going Facebook Live and I wanted to take some good pictures of these fish because they were beautiful and impressive specimens. And then, so that's what I did. I ended my live. I got my camera set up, took some pictures, emptied my live well. They all went back. And honestly, if I was keeping fish, like I said earlier in my recap, I'm only keeping stuff eight and a half, bluegills, eight and a half and less. That's what I like. To me, eight to eight and a half is like perfect eater. Anything above eight and a half is going back. And if I was keeping fish that day, I bet I would have only kept about four because they were just all giants in that one spot. Um, but they all went back. So that's something we can do as anglers. We don't need big brother to always tell us what to do. You want a better fishery, you can take it upon yourself. If you want lower limits, you can take it upon yourself. Just because the limit is 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever it is doesn't mean you have to keep that many. Feel free to selective harvest yourself. Um, musky guys have been doing it for forever. Bass guys have been doing it for quite a long time. There's no reason. Even walleye guys, if you're a pike guy, trout, whatever your thing is, you can take it upon yourself to regulate yourself however you want and tell your buddies, you know, that that's kind of how I think it should work, you know, instead of having to be dictated to told what to do, forced to do this, you know, you can make that change, be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> Cliche, but it's also true. So, there you go. There's your weekend recap and rant. Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate each and every one of you. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, you know what I haven't bugged you guys about in a long time is to rate and review it. So any new listeners to the show, thank you for one. Uh, but two, also take the time to go ahead and would appreciate that furthest right star. That would be great. Leave me a review. Be even better yet. Share it with your buddies. Um, Get the word out there. Uh, the bigger the reach, the more opportunity I have to get more and more well-known names uh, to bring you more and great content. So it's a, it's a community deal, and I, and I appreciate your help. So there you go. We got a uh, guest, a uh, sit-in guest or what, a special guest, I guess you'd call it, for Waterfall Wednesday this week because uh, Nick is out of town, out of country, actually. So uh, I rang up David Goose. So he's sitting in for this week's Waterfall Wednesday. Stay tuned for that. And like I said, Matt Waldron will be joining me this Thursday for the main episode. So got a jam-packed week. 
all good stuff, great content. Uh, I hope that you uh, thoroughly enjoy it. All right, good luck, everybody. Have a safe and wonderful Memorial Weekend. Uh, let me know how you do. Jump on the social medias, post the pictures, and uh, yeah, that's it. Whatever your passion, pursue it full scale.